two different people raised from two different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they come from two different parts of the city or country. And now you're going to live under one roof and try to be one life. You're going to have some crazy moments. I mean, think about it. Some of us can't stand, you know, to be in the same house with our siblings or parents or grandparents, let alone you keep waking up and it's the same person. What's up, everybody? It's Willie and Alex from the Black Culture Podcast. I know you're ready to get into this video, but before you do that, make sure to subscribe to our channel and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Culture Podcast. Enjoy the video. We have a very, very special guest, a gentleman that's both a friend and a mentor to both me and and my co-host. He is pastor of Rama at the Warehouse. Also, he's an attorney, a magistrate, a personal bailiff, just an all-around fantastic individual, very, very interesting guy. I really think you're going to love this interview. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Black Culture Podcast, Anthony Parker. Glad to be here. Glad to be part of this. This is, this is great. Thanks, thanks for uh, being able to take the time out to speak with us. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, who would you say is Anthony Parker? Take us back to the beginning before being a pastor, before being a bailiff, before being a, a, a attorney, who would you say Anthony Parker is? I'm Clara's boy. I'm Eddie's son, um, one of uh, seven children. I, I was the baby from 1972 to 1976 until Johnny came aboard in, in January 14th. And so, just ruined everything for you. Yeah, he became... <laughs> You know, he became the baby. So, but the thing about it is he didn't become senior baby. He became like an associate, you know? So we were like co-senior pastor babies. Okay. (laughs) He was the baby, but I I held on a little bit to the title. Um, So I I would just say that I was, uh, you know, uh, really, really love my parents. really love my parents. So I uh, like to hang around my dad and, and be grown around him, like to um, follow my mom around. Um, so I, I was just a, um, you know, kid off Lee Harvard area, you know, went to Emil B. Soze. I love that because that was, that school was directly across the street. Um, and I like to could come home for lunch so I could have my lunch home at noon then walk back across the street that was for kindergarten first grade um and then the second grade we we were I was part of that's when busing started busing started when I was in second grade and we went over to the west side and I came back to email for my fourth grade uh, I would say before become pastor and an and attorney I was just a, 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 a Clara's son, Eddie's boy, uh, always a preacher boy, always a pre- little preacher who loved sports. So that's who I was, a little preacher boy who loved sports. So what, what was it like growing up in a household? You said it's, it was seven of you guys? Seven of us. Uh, seven children, so nine total in the house. Mm. I always think it's like? interesting because I was the only <laughs> child, so... I was the only <laughs> child that wished I had siblings. Yeah. So what was that like? Um, 
because I was second to the to the youngest, I would say that most of my my vivid memories are when there were eight in the family and then seven. Because my my oldest sister, um, she ended up going to school and and and, and moving out when I was still um, rather young. Um, growing up with uh, a lot of brothers and sisters, it was just great to me. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was such normal life to me that anybody who didn't have a big family, I thought they were the minority. I mean, I just thought, you know, this, this the way it is. You just a bunch of folks in the house. Um, it was uh, a lot of characters, uh, a lot of uh, different personalities. Um, I like, you know, because, I mean, because it was a lot of people, everybody had different chores, you know, um, I would, so I mainly was in charge of sweeping the floor and the kitchen floor was only so big. And so I just, you know, did my chores sweeping the floor. That's when I did a lot of preaching and singing because I was horrible at sweeping the floor, but the floor was <laughs> so big, you know, so you'd have people to share uh, chores with, you had uh, people to play with, we went to church, you had people to laugh with. Uh, to me, it was like one big party all the time. Mm, that's that's amazing. And so you grew up in the church, your father was a pastor. Um, and as the pastor of a church with a lot of your family in it now, uh, describe to me what it was like growing up as a, what they call it, a PK. Um. Well, there's two. There was two ways to, to, to look at it. I, I, I um, once again, it became it was it was normal life for me. I did I just didn't know anything other than being in the church. However, I I did notice that there were a lot of things that um, my friends were doing that I wasn't doing. You know, like you know Sunday night. Um, you know, the, Sunday night. I, I think. Think back. I think like the six man dollar man was coming on. And mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that <laughs> Disney, Disney World, and I I would be in church uh, Tuesday night. I think a team was coming on, and uh, I'd be in church uh, Friday night. I was so glad when uh, DVDs came out. Uh, no, no VCRs, VCR. Because, uh, he just told his age. It's, it's, it's all right. Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> I, I, it came out because I was, I love, I, I learned, I love soap operas, especially night soap operas. So I would take Dallas because we would be in church on Friday night. So I would have to take Dallas. So being in, in church a lot, I, I kind of wanted to know what it was like. Uh, we, we were like, we were very, uh, I would say, con, um, moderately conservative holiness family. Um, so on the conservative part, you know, didn't do movies. So I'm going to be, what's it like, you know, um, to go to movies, you know, what's it like, um, uh, not to be at church on Sunday morning and just kind of throwing the football around until the football game came, came on. Um, you know, what's it like to, um, you know, go to parties and things. So growing up in church, it made me wonder what was it like to live, you know, a life outside the church you know it's funny you just talked about that willie yeah i was i i promise you that was gonna be one of my questions because i think a lot of times people have this like like it's easy because you grew up in church but really it's like 
you kind of like, I don't want to say stick out like a sore thumb as a bad thing, but it's kind of like, if you grow up in church and school, people know that because it, because of the things that you don't do the way you carry yourself. So I was the same when I was wondering like, man, I wonder what it's like to right, go play football, go to the movies. I thought I was going to go to hell if I went to the movies because that's, I was in that era to where you just, it just wasn't something that was accepted. So, and it just became normal. I couldn't listen to Kurt Franklin when he first came out. Oh, wow. wow. So, so was, was that considered being rebellious if you went to a movie or went to a sports event or God forbid you went to a school party or something? Was that considered that? Hey guys, it's Willie from the Black Culture Podcast. I know you're enjoying this dope interview, but before you continue, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Black Culture Podcast. I, I would say sporting events were not a problem. You, we just, you just didn't go during church time when a lot of them, that's when most of them happened. But it was not so much, that's why I would say we were moderately conservative um, because there were some who were a little bit more conservative where playing sports. I mean, there were some families where you didn't play sports. You didn't wear shorts. Mm. You know, we were not that conservative. We were moderate. Sport, going to sporting events and playing sports was fine. You just didn't do it during church time, which didn't leave a lot of time to do it. Um, but yeah, if you were like going to movies, uh, you know, um, my my sisters did not wear pants at that time, um, so they did not wear um, they did not wear makeup, you know. Mm. So so you know you know so and that's that's where the conservative part was. So you didn't wear makeup, you didn't didn't go to movies, things of, of that nature. Um, didn't go to dance parties. We didn't even sleep over a lot, lot of people's houses. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, that would have been um, doing as the world does. Uh, mm. and, and maybe, yes, to a certain extent, rebellious. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So before we jump ahead, I want to I wanna ask you a question because as the years went on, those standards kind of not like just fell down, but they it kind of got kind of okay. You can't do this. It's okay if if the girl is out, if she can wear jeans or she could. You can go to a movie. It's okay. What era around? Like when did you think that started to that trend? That transition started to switch. Well, it's a good question. Two ways to look at it. I, I I think that you know for some it never did switch. <laughs> it's still happening. Uh, I would say. Um, by the time I started pastoring in, in 2000, um, I would say between the, the uh, some of the churches that I was around in, in our churches, sort of towards the 90s, uh, I saw a lot of things straight, late 80s, 90s started, uh, things started uh, uh, changing. Um, and, it, it, and from my perspective, I don't know why things change in others. I can't speculate. But for our situation, I think like, um, you know, I would say just just kind of practical approach to things. Um, you know, that's why, that's why I started developing, hopefully I can start the book, Practical in Theology. Started looking at it from a practical point of view. Um, it's cold outside and wearing um, skirts and zero degree weather, it was cold. 
that was one of the first things I remember. Um, my, um, I don't remember, I think it was my mother um, who had that conversation with me. Uh, I believe he said she had to have that conversation with my sisters. Like, I can't, you know, I can't believe, you know, it's cold out there. You know, you all got to cover up your legs. Um, and then more than practical, some of the um, activities, once again, we weren't against going to um, amusement parks. It's, it's, it was just, when do you do it? We weren't against sporting events, but a lot of those activities um, from a practical point of view, just were not expedient for skirts. I mean, you know, bowling, jumping up and down, you know, you know, your skirt goes up and down. <laughs> You're right, of course. <laughs> so um, I watched, you know, when I started um, in my teens, uh, so that would be what, like I said, mid to late 80s, they started coming out first with gauchos. I don't know if you all remember gauchos. So gauchos um, were like um, short pants that comes to a woman's knees, but they're wide enough that they look like skirts, but they're, and so they were called gauchos. And then when when that came out, I started seeing that uh, some of the, the, the ladies being that, I think even my sisters got those. So they come to the, the, to the knees or below the knees and they look like they're skirts, but they're really, you know, short pants. And that helped uh, a lot of transitioning into because it just became realistic, uh, practically. It just, you know, for that. Um, and then, you know, with, you know, with makeup, it just, it just became more and more uh, generations, you know, generations started popping up. Why is it sinful? You know, why is wearing pants sinful? Uh, and when the more you ask questions, then the more you try to find your theological response for it. And then when you try to match it up, you know, with, with scripture, doesn't really go with that scripture. Um, and, and, and so the late 80s, 90s, I just started seeing things begin to to kind of change in a lot of the um, holiness Pentecostal churches. Not all of them. Some of them are still very strict conservative, and I respect them for that, but for a number of them, especially in the coastal churches. Hmm. So I grew up in church, but I grew up uh, in more of a lax in environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never forget, and my I've got aunts in the church, my mom is, is in church. I remember last year I threw a party for my mother. It, not a party, it was a it was a birthday dinner and I had it at night, night town. And okay. I invited my aunt and she said, I mean, she, when I invited her and she found out it was a jazz club, she went off on me. Right. And right. so I'm like, why is she so upset about jazz music? Like, it's going to be nice. It's just, you know, no words really. It's just music. And one of my friends told me, he said, how old is your aunt? And I, and I told him, he said, that's why says she grew up in an era where jazz music was considered right. the way rap music is now. Right. So, so what kind of music were you allowed to listen to and not listen to back then? And, and once again, I would have to, that's where I say we're a little bit more moderate conservative because while we did not, there was certain type of secular music we listened to. My mother was a classical, she was a trained classical pianist. So classical music was always part of part of our life. Um, so instrumental music be, um, was was part of our life. 
um, old, you know, there were certain old love songs that I knew that if I if I sang it around the house wouldn't be a problem. Like, oh, promise me that one day you and I, something like that. Or Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, men have named the, the old Nat King Cole. Um, Pastor, can so I ask you a question? Yeah. I don't mean to cut you off because like I've noticed something. Did you got, did, did other church or church members look at your mom and dad different because they were more modern? I would say, I understand that I considered them um, uh, to be modern, um, but within the Kojic realm, I consider this moderate conservative. Okay. There were more liberal Kojic churches that were living for us. So a lot of churches didn't always look at us as um, more, more modern, but um, some did uh, because um, for instance, my mother, because she played um, only by music and did not play by ear, she, the gospel music that she played, it would have to be sheet music. Well, our music department, and this is even before my time, was ahead of some music departments because Andre Crouch came out with a more gospel contemporary sound, but he put his music on sheet music. Um, so we were considered to be a little bit more modern than some churches because we would have the piano, uh, we would have the bass and drums, um, and my mother could do the whole because it was sheet music. So in that aspect, um, you know, people saw us modern, but our lifestyle, I can't say that people looked at our parents different uh, because we were quote unquote modern it was moderate conservative okay. so for some we were still considered to be pretty strict uh, i just learned something new to new too i did not know mother parker played piano yeah i didn't know that either oh yeah that's why all all of us are into music uh okay. because um growing up you played an instrument everybody played an instrument mm -hmm. um okay. right now she she's teaching theory to um my nieces and nephews so uh Mm. You know, my nieces and nephews that are around there, she's teaching them music. Um, and, and certainly when, you know, we, I was just, you know, talking with my brother, John, that, you know, it, you know, it, it was just a lot we were planning on doing before the pandemic. And we wanted to, you know, for senior society, you know, her, you know, singing and, and playing, but yeah, she still plays. Uh, she's a, she's a wonderful, matter of fact, uh, she grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Now, you know, she came from a, a little bit, it was still kind of a strict background, but more liberal. She grew up uh, in Baptist church, um, but she played uh, for different churches, uh, classical, she was, she was a higher classical musician. So let me ask you this, with all of that said, especially about the church, and you grew up in, uh, I would say a, a, a black church, mm -hmm. um, what would you say some of the biggest misconceptions about the black churches from someone who's outside looking in? Well, a, a, a number of things from the, um, that a misconception, and I, I didn't realize how deep these were until I started um, Bible training with John Carroll. There's misconceptions that black church is ignorant, is not educated. Um, mm. During the time uh, that uh, my father was one of the youngest um, gentlemen to be ordained 
in the Church of God in Christ, which was the, the largest Pentecostal uh, sect um, at 19. But he was also one of the first to be, um, you know, uh, get his degree in religious education. Um, and, and so he was a degree preacher. Uh, so there was a misconception that, um, you know, you, you really don't have to get any training, any Bible training. You just go preach. Um, you know, uh, uh, another, uh, you know, uh, so the ignorant part really bothered me. Um, uh, another part, you know, we were Pentecostal um, Black church. So another part was that we were just in hysteria. People never quite understood Pentecostalism, the music, the dancing, the speaking uh, in, in tongues and things of that nature. I found those to be um, uh, uh, misconceptions. And other misconceptions out there, um, money hungry, and the preacher wants the money, the preacher wants the, you know, the, the women, so, things of that nature. So, um, so, so that he can drive the Cadillac and the sports car. He can drive this Cadillac, you know, have his, his, his way um, with the women and, and also uh, a certain form there were certain people that that we were cultish you know that certain black churches it's just like a cult you know they're there all the time all day and uh you know those sorts of things um became real to me when you know as i grew older like wow those are that those these, these things are not the truth for the truth. Now, now did you see any of that like i know that is a misconception um did you see any churches where there were pastors and you know you knew that they weren't treating their folks right they were all about the money or all about women did you see any of that as you grew up in the church i want to let me take away the term mis, uh, misconception and call and, and put in place broad labeling um because um yes i've seen the and you know and i'm sure every sect every Every faith community would say they've seen that, you know, or or they know of it or experienced it on all spectrums. So yeah, I, I've witnessed, um, you know, some of those things, and I, so I want to take it that that is the reality of certain places, and that's why I'm staying away from the term misconception of broad labeling, just because maybe it's happened or witnessed in a few, then you label everybody. Okay. All right, Pastor, you mentioned John Carroll, and in the intro, we also say that you're an attorney. So explain to us, when did you know that was the career path that, like, being into to law and into that career path, when did you know that's what you wanted to do? Interesting. Um, interesting question. Um, I'm going to start trying to do this. Uh, uh, my wife laughs at me. She said, you, you never go straight to an answer. So I'm going to give you an answer first and the story later. Okay. I did not know until my uh, senior year uh, in undergrad. So that's the short answer. Um, the, um, and then a little background, sixth grade, when I did the um, sort of like the graduation or the promotion speech for my sixth grade class, and I remember a teacher, she wasn't my teacher. But she was another teacher, Ms. Rush, and she said to my mother, he's going to be an attorney. And uh, wow, I was and that was in sixth grade. And and I said, Bishop, maybe I don't know about that. <laughs> I think I'll be Bishop. And you and quite understand, I grew up 
and I keep, I hate wanting to say era because I, I, you know, I'm only 48, you know, it sounds like I'm 77 when I say era, but I grew up in a time where it, 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 in my church, it was, it was not believed that you could be saved and be an attorney. Um, so there was no push for really? anyone to become an attorney. That was not a belief my parents held, but that was a belief wow. um, that, um, that was, that was held uh, in the church. And believe you me, I still get questions today from people that say, um, how was there no conflict with you being a pastor and attorney? That, that's a different subject. But anyway, then I even had my step, my grandmother, step-grandmother um, asked me, can an attorney be saved? Um, so mm. I wasn't looking, trying to be an attorney. She said that sixth grade, but it wasn't until um, John Carroll, I was on the um, the rapid, the uh, blue line, I believe that is, the Van Aken line. That's and I was blue line. heading downtown. And then uh, Fred Nance, who was my mentor at the time, um, um, one of the most successful African-American attorneys, not just in Cleveland, but um, in, the, in the country. He was a finalist to become NFL commissioner. Um, he's one of the attorneys over the LeBron Foundation. Uh, he, he's just very, wow. very influential and powerful uh, in the country. And he was my, he's my mentor, still is my mentor. Um, and he was getting off the rapid. And I'll never forget, I got off the rapid. I ran to him because I had not figured out what I was going to do after undergrad. And I said to these words, I want to be just like you. And wow. he says, what does that mean? I said, I want to be attorney like you. And he was like, Anthony, you know, it's October. It's your, um, you know, your senior in school. Have you applied to law school? And I said, no. And he said, get somewhere and do application. So it was a last minute thing. Mm, that's that's an interesting story. Quick, just, just for, for me, what high school did you go to? JFK. Ah, yes, sir. <laughs> hey, I'm an ego. <laughs> I'm an ego. I'm an ego. <laughs> Y'all silly. <laughs> so well, that's right. Uh, you get the heights. That's right. Yes, sir. I'm a I'm a tiger. So you keep that right. eagle up in the air and don't <laughs> come down here with the tigers, man. <laughs> you said keep the eagle up in the air. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so real quick question. So you, you said you wanted to be just like this guy, which I'm assuming that he was probably one of your motivations yes. to becoming an attorney. Let's talk about briefly the contrast between being in a, between working in clergy and working in law, because mm -hmm. that's really not common to start with. Most individuals who become Great pastors, question, they don't come from that type of background. One requires faith, oh. the other one requires law. So let's talk about that contrast a little bit. Um, basically you're engaged in two professions that require a great deal but are kind of on both opposite ends of the spectrum well actually uh, they are not uh, and surprisingly they're not um a couple of things first of all i i am um, I'm, I'm a part of a number of group uh, and even in cleveland because you're right it is not the majority but the the number of pastors who are attorneys in the Cleveland area. Really? Realize. Oh yeah. Uh, and I'm part of a national organization now 
of people of faith and the attorneys and the evangelists, the missionaries, the pastors who are attorneys kind of blew my mind because you first have to understand the basis of law comes from the Old Testament. Mm. The, um, um, you want to define the difference between manslaughter, murder in the Old Testament, um, how are civil laws, how to personal injury, um, how do we um, decide um, to give a person money for injury to property rather than taking their life, Old Testament. Um, how do we decide um, if I, if, if, say, if you give me something of your possession and I lose it while it's in my possession, I have to make you whole, Old Testament. So the basis of our laws comes straight from the Bible, um, which is one thing. Uh, in, in school, I was able to take an, a, a, a course that, that uh, developed with religion uh, and the law. Um, and so once I, once I, be, it became even more and more clearer, once I became uh, an attorney um, and, and started practicing, because I started practicing in 1997, all right, so I be, in 1997, I just became an associate pastor, and at that time, well, no, I was just an elder. At that time, it was a church that my brother, my brother, my brother was pastor. He started a church that, and he started a church. Then he merged with a congregation um, because my father used to pastor two churches. He pastored, um, he pastored a church, and then he assumed the pastor of my of my grandfather's church. And so the first church he pastored, that church of my brother merged his church with that church, and there were some 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 issues. Um, and uh, some legal issues that went on, um, um, some difficult legal issues. And I had just uh, passed the bar, became an attorney, and I had to leave the church through these legal issues. So from the onset, the marriage of the church and the law has been there with their forgiveness because one of the first big, big cases I had to deal with were churches. Um, I worked for a very uh, renowned um, firm, an attorney, George, George Forbes. Uh, it was Forbes Fields and Associates, and he was the managing partner and the founder. And he was always called to churches to speak, and I would help write his sermons. Um, mm. He was the attorney for so many churches. And at that time, it seemed like uh, churches were kicking pastors out left and right. And we would have to be there. It would be like, I mean, civil war in churches. I mean, churches with folks showing up with guns, telling the pastor he can't come in. Um, so from the get-go, I got involved in having to work in church law. So for me, there was no, it, no, no two different worlds. The problem was they were two very time-consuming professions, which means um, hard to balance balance time. Um, and then for me, for ethics, because the biggest problem people have for me is, well, don't lawyers have to lie and steal? I, I mean, there's this conception that they lie. Well, if, you know, it's like any profession. If you come to a profession with certain integrity and ethics, 
there's only certain things you're going to do, certain jobs you're going to take, certain cases you're going to take. Um, so it just wasn't two different, two different realms for me. So being so operating as an attorney and as a pastor, is there ever a struggle? So you're a magistrate, which is a person most people don't actually want to see. <laughs> so do you ever find that there is a struggle or, you know, I'll ask it in a two part question. Do you ever find that there is a struggle or having the background of both gives you uh, edge as far as a benefit to see things differently than someone that doesn't have that type of background? Um, that is a ex- very good question. Matter of fact, all you all's questions, this, you, you all do a very good job. And let me say that, first of all, these, these are very good questions. Um, to, a funny thing, one of the hardest things, um, when I sit there as a magistrate, magistrate attorney or personal bailiff, when, I, when I'm in my role, I'm always a pastor. <clears throat> but I have to know at that certain time that I'm on the clock as what I'm being paid to do as my profession, the secular profession, but the pastor is still in me. Now, the funny part, I'm going to give you three answers to the question. The funny part is that so many sites are in the legal system. So, um, you know, I'm sitting there getting ready to run court as a magistrate and somebody not in the audience that's about to come before me is a saying, hey, Pastor Parker. See, people <laughs> can't distinguish the type. And I'm like, this, I'll never forget, I was, uh, went to a church and I preached at a church and, and the man and this the, the man was shouting and, and speaking and falling out. He was catching the spirit. And he said, I knew you were the attorney for me because the way you preach, well, his case didn't go well. And he, he, he used us, but we lost because his case was horrible. So then he started, um, you know, wondering about my faith. Uh, then I had uh, this one um, client, uh, you know, she got hit. It was soft tissue. She got hit. And, and she wanted a $100,000 settlement. And because I'm a pastor, she thought I should get it and told me I had a lack of faith. It had nothing to do with my faith. It had to do with uh, the fact that her case wasn't worth that. Um, he told you your I, prayer wasn't strong enough. I, I, yes. <laughs> and the, but the one thing, though, that two of my, uh, you know, I have a couple of minutes of my life, and one of the criticisms that they had, constructive criticism they have for me is that, um, Anthony, you know, if you do want to, you know, you know, go further, run for office or something, you know, the pastor in you sometimes is too nice, you know. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, you, you want to save everybody. And when you're on your, when you're doing your profession, you have to realize I've got to, you know, work within my guidelines here. And it, it, it's not always saving soul time. Sometimes it's executing judgment, you know, which in a sense is saving a soul if people don't get judgment. Mm. Pastor Anthony T. Parker is our guest on the Black Culture Podcast. Um, church and community service, Pastor. Um, 
it's a two-part question I have for you. The first one is, well, the first, it's actually three questions. First question is, what made you decide to pastor? Then the second question is, explain to us what is, like, what do you consider church and community service? And my third question is, why now more than ever, even with the global pandemic, because I feel like right now more than ever, church and community service is very important. Um, let, let me go back to your first point. Why did I decide? I, I, I always say I did. I, I always say that was God decided that I was going to pass to God and my brother. And, and, I, I, and I didn't have any say so. Um, now, I always, I, as I told you, as a boy, I always liked to preach. You know, I, I've always thought I'd be a preacher, a little preaching bishop somewhere. Um, so it was always in my heart to, to preach and to one day pastor. But the fact that I started at March 2000 was totally in, unexpected um, because uh, as I said, in 1997, you know, I'm, I'm becoming an attorney, I'm helping um, my brother go through a transition um, through a merger that things kind of went south on. And because we had to go through it, I mean, it was a full-blown lawsuit. I mean, that I had to lead a church through a whole lawsuit. And then at the conclusion of that lawsuit was the church that we are was birthed out of that. It was birthed out of that. And uh, so that's around, uh, nah, that, that's going to be around 1998-99. Uh, uh, it's birthed out. So it's this new religious organization, this church. And then in 2000, at the same time, my brother has, is, is pastoring Columbus. So he's literally on a Sunday morning in Columbus preaching, then driving to Cleveland to preach and pastor. And he says to me, I want to make you co-pastor. And then he says, I can't do this. You have to take the church. And that, and so. Um, so so let, let's talk about that. You said he would be in Columbus Sunday morning, mm -hmm. preach. Hop in his car, drive mm -hmm. two and a half hours to Cleveland, mm -hmm. and then preach again and have to drive back to Columbus. He was driving back and forth. He wow. was and then coming back to That's Cleveland incredible. to teach Bible study. Um, and he did that for, for, for a while, for at least a year or so. And wow. And then uh, you know, he 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 saw more in me than I saw myself. I was about ready. Um, I won't, you know, I wasn't ready. I wasn't trying to pastor at that point. And, 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 and uh, Antoinette was not trying to be anybody's first lady at that point. <laughs> Is anybody <laughs> ever really ready to pastor when, like, they're called to be pastor? I don't know. I think maybe some are more ready than I am. You know, some people go out, they start it, and they just go for it. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't trying to pastor. And the people... Um, the, the majority of the people were not ready for me to pass. So wow. it, was, it was it was rough. I would say that um, only a handful that are with us now are the ones who stayed. When I became pastor, I, I mean, like a good 60, 70 percent of the congregation up and left. Um, wow. All the preachers, the music department. Um, you know, besides just a couple of people that were my uh, 
family. I mean, the people who you see as elders now weren't elders then. The only one who was an elder at that point was Elder Pastor Jackson. He was the only one. Nobody else was. And, and so we had to start from scratch and, and, and God, God built from there. So it was one of the roughest times in my life. You know what, before you answer the other two questions, I do want to touch on that point because from the outside looking in, very few people actually know the struggles of starting a church or taking over a church as a pastor. And uh, I would, I would ask you this, what would be some short advice that you would give to someone looking to pastor, looking to start a church, some of those struggles that you went through early on? The first struggle, um, the first struggle is your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is pretty much going to determine how things go. And um, I was kind of overwhelmed. Um, I had just gotten married. I was not as mature in the faith that I could have been. Not that we all get to a certain level of mature. We, we always are growing. I could have been further along in my in my growth. You've got to talk to, you've got to cry out to God and talk to God because there are crucial decisions that you have to make um, and you need God speaking to you. The, the other thing is you, you've got to get you an attorney. You've got to get you an accountant, okay? Those are two important things because it is God's church and it's a religious organization, but it's a business. And, and you've got to start, I mean, so, sometimes church is the only people like, you know, you, you're an entrepreneur, Brother Alex Price, and, and, um, and uh, uh, Brother uh, Willie on your way. Nobody thinks of, okay, let me just, well, I'm sure some people do it, they shouldn't, but nobody just sets up a company and don't get no, no legal advice, no right. accounting, nothing. We're just going to run this company. Right. Well, that's how sometimes people do churches. Like, no, you need an accountant, you need an attorney. Um, you should have a, a pot. If you can't put any other ministry together, you should have at least two to three uh, pastors um, who can be there to advise you, people you can look up to and talk to. Those are basic things. Your prayer life, relationship with God, get an attorney and accountant and getting some um, people to speak into your life so that you can make decisions. And the other, one of the crucial other things is whatever's going on in your personal life. You know, I had just gotten married, you know, you know, it's taken some years, you know, for my wife to train me in how to be a good husband. She's a good trainer. Um, <laughs> but you know, you, you know, you, you, come on, your first year of marriage, and this may I'm not be a lot of people, you, you know, you're a knucklehead, you know. So, I'm sorry, Willie, say, say that one more time so everybody <laughs> I, can hear. I said, I'm still in training. So I'm still I in training. <laughs> you know, your, your spiritual life and then get your relationship life. If you're single, you know, calm that thing down. What are you doing? If you're married, get that family life together because a messed up family life plus the messed up spiritual life, plus no business sense to the, mm. to it is going to make the ministry start off in disaster. Wow. That's wow. That's, that's great advice. That's great advice. So I want to get back to Willie's question. And he was asking about the importance of church 
and community service. Before you say that, though, because I, I know you're not going to do it, so I'm going to do it for you. Pastor Parker is one of, well, for my, for me, one of the first churches I've been to where he actually, when you talk about churches getting out there into the community, he actually does it. So he's mm-hmm. not someone that's just on here talking about it. He's actually doing it. So I wanted to make sure I give you your flowers and pat you on the back because I know you're not going to pat yourself on the back. No. <laughs> no. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. Thank you so much. To me, church, uh, church is community. They have to be one and the same. And since this is that Jesus, he was all about what can I do for the community? And so that when he got around the disciples and uh, to me, it was empowerment to go. I mean, there was a couple of times where he says, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out. He put the Holy Spirit on them and gave them. It's like we come together in our uh, faith communities for our worship services and our Bible training for what? To go out then and do the work of Christ. Um, so the times that we're together and worshiping and in our Bible study, it's to empower us to now when you leave this, how can you impact the community? And the philosophy that I go uh, for is, you know, we're getting ready to go into phase three of when it comes to property, uh, maybe acquiring property or uh, whatever we're going to do for our next level when it comes to property. But the philosophy I go through is this, give God a reason to expand your territory. You know, know, that's the way he works with me. He's just not going to give us a new building because so that we can keep up with other churches or a place to look nice. There's a reason. If you don't have a community service reason for me to expand your territory, then you need no expansion. Mm. Wow. I want to segue real quick to uh, you talked about some of the difficulties. Oh, hold, hold for one more second. Okay. Well, okay. My wife has granted me some extra time. So go ahead. Oh, okay. Okay. Awesome. Nice. Thank you, First Lady. <laughs> so you talked about uh, some of the struggles at the beginning. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about is one of the most difficult times of your life. I never forget. I got a call from a guy that you may know. His name is John Parker. And uh, this is maybe two, two, three years ago. Um, I was actually, I want to say I was on my way home and he shot me a text about the passing of your father. Yes. And, um, you know, I personally haven't lost a parent. I it, it crazy because within these past, I would say five years, I've had lots of friends who've lost mothers, fathers, and whatnot. Being in a role that you were in and as close as you were to him, how were you able to process that? And how were you able to kind of, uh, I don't know if you would ever move past it, but sort of be the rock and the strength for the rest of your rest of your family, as well as dealing with your own grief? There's, there's, a, there's a couple of things. Um, I, um, death has, um, you know, just being around funerals, funeral homes, things of that nature was always difficult for me. I would say for a good portion of my life until I'm trying to see when it started to change, maybe in my mid-30s. My father started me off presiding funerals 
when I was 13 years old. Um, he kept me close to him. Um, and because of that, <clears throat> the whole issue of death and things, he really got me into that so I could I could have 20 or so years to kind of work and process through it. Um, so it got to a point where um, and my wife would test. I mean, it, it, it's not all the time, but sometimes I can, kind of, when a situation hits, I can kind of know, I kind of have an idea which way it's going, if that makes sense. Um, God will give me a hint for certain, not all situations, but a lot of situations. Um, so my father had some, you know, health battles. Um, it was not, we were not looking for him to die um, in October of 2018. However, a few months before I was on the highway and God told me he was about to die. And I did not share it with my family. Uh, it was not the appropriate time, but I shared it um, at the time of his death because what God did um, I was driving down 480 and um, he told me your father's going to die and he told me what church the funeral would be at and he told me to call the pastor and I called the pastor it was bishop and I said um, he was, I said if something happens to my father I need to have the funeral there. and I didn't tell anybody that I had already made the plans for my dad's funeral. Um, but I told my wife. And when my dad passed, um, the family said where it's gonna be at. That's when I told them that I had already made the plans. And I think that God did that because he knew I had to pastor and that I, I couldn't fall apart. Um, I wanted to dress the body and um, because I said I would, then my brother, John Martin came with me and I dressed his body in, in my clergy. And uh, God let me know he was gonna die so that I could have that experience dressing um, be there at the casket to close it. Those are tough things to do, but he knew I would have to pastor. And so what happened is I was able to, um, I, I wrote my dad's obituary. Um, I would say uh, four years before he died. Uh, I'm getting ready to leave the church um, this year through a, a, a series called Prepare for the Future. And it's hard to do, but I wrote his obituary four years before he passed. I just interviewed him. And it was, a, his, it was for his 80th birthday. And I had this great um, biography wow. of him. So that when he passed, all I had to do was pull up the biography and I had gave, put it into the hands of Pastor Jackson. And he also had to tweak it. We had the church where he was going to go. I knew what funeral home because I believe that church pastors should have a, a, a series. You should have professionals. A pastor doesn't know everything. 
So you should have professionals in your life too. And so I have relationships with funeral homes, relationships with doctors. So while my, my dad was laying in the hospital and he's giving his last breath, I was able to call the owner of a funeral home. He was in Florida, but I was making the decision because you know the quicker you can get the remains, the better it will look um, during the time of the funeral. Um, uh, and I was able to get cut through red tape. His body was taken from the hospital, uh, not more than two hours um, from dying. I knew exactly where he would go. I, I knew what kind of the, the service. And so then it made it easier for my family and for my older brother who did the eulogy. It was it made it easier for everything else to flow. And so the only reason I was able to still pastor is because God let me know ahead of time what was about to happen. Wow, that's incredible. I always wondered that because I watched Pastor go through that. And I always ask my wife, like, man, how is Pastor? He's so strong. Like, so this is my first time hearing that. Like, wow. I, yeah, uh, it, that's incredible. It was all God. I um I remember going to the funeral, um and I, I at the time I didn't actually know you but I knew Johnny and I said bro anything you need, and uh, I never actually got a chance to meet your dad either but I remember walking into the church, and seeing the amount of people that were there, he had Howard doing the sound, and it sounded like a live recording, <laughs> and so I said to myself I immediately knew this man was very very well it felt well like loved. a live recording yeah it, it was it was and it was i've been to funerals where there may be 10 20 people that show up that and then I've also, I've also been to home or yeah home going where there was standing room only so i i can just attest to the fact from afar since i've actually never had the chance to meet him John being one of my best friends and now knowing you that your dad was truly a, a great, great man. And so I've always wanted to know that I, I want to segue into this too. There's another part of you being a pastor that requires you to counsel couples mm -hmm. and uh, in today's climate where relationships and marriage have so many meanings to so many different people yeah. sort of, ambiguous in a sense you know what are some of the things that you have to tell couples as you counsel them what are some of what's some of the principles that you share with them in order for them to uh have any measure of success well the, the first thing i have to tell them is that um i, I start off as a knucklehead um i think that one of the keys to ministry is transparency you don't have to tell everything that you've you know done but you've got to let people um they've got to be able to understand uh that you understand what, what struggle is and what it means to uh, get married and I, I i do not like to do any type of sessions uh without my wife there um because then she can attest uh to the fact that you know that I tell them, number one, it's going to be a struggle. You're going to have some struggles. Um, number two, I, I make them look at it as a practical point of view. Two different people raised from two different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they come from two different parts of the city or country. And now you're going to live under one roof and try to be one life. 
you're uh, going to have some crazy moments. I mean, think about it. Some of us can't stand, you know, to be in the same house with our siblings or parents or grandparents, let alone you keep waking up and it's the same person there. Um, you know, you like it cold. They like it hot. You know, you like Rice Krispies. They like cornflakes. You know, and 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 I love it uh, because my you know my 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 brother said that's the beauty of relationship. My oldest brother, when he was in the classes that my wife and I ran, he said, "Who wants to marry their clone or twin? That's no fun." You know, if you're both the same, you know, um, and that's one principle we tell them. If you're both the same, one of you is not needed. So enjoy each other's. Um, embrace differences. But one of the things, one of the key principles that I have, because you're right, Brother Alex, first of all, I yeah, I, I get away from any preconceived notions. You know, you, you got to, you know, pass, it's got to get out their mind that these are two people who then kept themselves pure and holy for this, this marriage. I get people have different stories. But mm -hmm. I, one thing I make them decide is you think about it. What type of marriage do you want to be? Do you want to be a God-based, God-fearing marriage? Or do you just want to be a marriage that acknowledges that there is a God? I hmm. want them to decide because- That's interesting. I'm, I, I mean, the thing about it, we have to be realist. There are married couples out there who don't profess God, Christianity, go to church, have been married for 60 years. Mm. Then there's some couples out there that, you know, speak in tongues more than they speak in English and couldn't make it past two months. You wow. know, so I tell people that, you know, what is the plan that you want? Because don't be... And, and I know when people hear this, oh man, how could you, how could you make people, because I don't want people to pretend. Like if you're really not into God and you just want me to do sessions with you and marry you, that's fine, but don't play with it. You all decide, are we going to be going to church or not? Are we going to be loving to God or not? It's on you. It's your choice. I'm here to give you spiritual advice. And that's one of the biggest things that I try to get couples and they kind of look at me surprised. Well, of course we love God. We go to church. No, 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 no. Think about it. Because one of you may be serious about God and the other is not. And then all of a sudden after the honeymoon, okay, it's time to go to church. But I ain't going to church. It's time to go to Bible study. I ain't going to Bible study. We got to give tithes. You better not give that much money to the church. That's why I tell people, let's just figure out which way you want to go. You you know, um, cause um, Cap Pastor has canceled my wife and I in the past, and he still does. So, but it was so different getting counseling from him because he's a realist. Like you can't save everybody, and I've been in counseling sessions where they literally I can save anybody. So, and, and it was crazy. And I don't know if Pastor caught my face when he. I think he had asked one of the questions was do you guys want to be to still be together? I had never been asked that before. I, and I was shocked because I'm like, the pastor asking that? But it just showed me like, no, he's a realist. He's real. He's not just, because at, at that time you have to, he's your pastor, but at the same time, you have to take out of it. This is now, not only is he your pastor, but this is your counselor too. So he's just 
this is he's doing what he's supposed to do. And I have a question I wanted to ask you too. Is it if it is more difficult, is it more difficult counseling church couples or non-church couples? If it is a difference. Ooh. Um, That's a great question. I uh ooh, ooh, that's a good, good question. I mean, uh, I, 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 each can have its its, its difficulties. Um, it can be difficult doing church couples if they're going to if you, if they think they have to give you the answers that they think you want to hear because they're church couples. You know, they, I don't want the pastor to think bad of me. And, and, and that's, it's so hard to get away from that. And that is something people think because, oh. and, and the diff, and this is where, because I, I struggle with that, but I think because of the relationship me and you have grown and gained, it's like, I can think outside of that now. Because people all the time say, I'm not going to judge you. But as a man, you still thinking this is another man. I don't want him to know this, that, right. and third. But once you get past that and it's like you build that relationship, it becomes more easier. So that's why I really wanted you to, like, explain that. It be, well, because, you know, like when I when I when I when we do it and I call it in Ohio, this is important. Every state's different, but in Ohio, they allow for you to do faith-based counseling and I and because you know, we're not certified counselors it's faith-based counseling but uh sometimes when I get those couples that um not members of church not members of any of the church it's a little bit easy to get through the truth you know like uh, especially premarital yeah, yeah but church people you know I'm, you know sometimes I, I want to tell people first of all there's nothing you can say to disappoint me now, maybe what you say is going to disappoint your spouse, but nothing you're going to say is disappoint me because we're all human. Save you murdered somebody. Now, if you're about to confess that, please hold that up. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. But, um, you know, that's the challenging point. Um, the other challenging part is, and, and I'll let you get the next question. I try not to be too long with my answers, but um, is when one person is saved and the other person isn't and the person who is saved is that oh you got to meet this pastor parker we need to go to counseling with him and the unsaved person I, i'm already behind me because the unsaved person comes in like okay who's this person you like so much and he's probably already on your side and and that it makes it a little difficult for me to get to the unsaved person and let them know i'm not already taking sides and i'm not holding it against you because you're not professing to be part of the faith. So I feel like, first of all, we're going to have to do a relationship episode and we got to have Anthony Parker back on. But I do have this question. Has there ever been a time where you just had to flat out tell somebody or a couple, it's a good idea for you to not to get married? Oh, twice. Have you, oh, you had to do it. Okay, do tell. Twice. <laughs> I, I, had, I had two couples um that I told don't get married um and I was kind I, I I actually flat out said um I because when I when I when we do when me and my wife do the counseling we tell them if during this counseling we determine that based upon our conversations and your answers 
that you should not get married, we're going to tell you. And I, I told one of the first couples, I said, don't get married. But if you decide to, I'll still marry you. They went and got married within six months, eight, seven, eight months through. Um, the next couple told them don't get married. It didn't last within one to two years because I'm a, we are straightforward. If we don't think that um, you should do it, we tell you. So, so how does that work? Yeah. So, so how does that work? If you think someone shouldn't get married and you still decide to marry them, you can, have you ever re refused to marry someone? Because I, I've done everything from um, living room, pajama funeral, I mean, weddings to, uh, to, to spare the moment weddings. And I may revisit I may revisit um, who I make myself accessible to, to marry um, in the future, but I've had a broad stance. And, and so once again, that's when I go from um, the term, I don't wanna say strict conservative, um, a little bit moderate conservative, because I mean, there would be, there were, in my background, um, I would say people who are part of the Church of God of Christ Reformation, first of all, if if you weren't believers, there's preachers who won't marry you. If they think that one is a believer and one is not a believer, they won't marry you. Uh, I've seen people not marry people who um, were once married before. I'm pretty broad. And my reason for that, I've never refused to marry. The only time I didn't marry somebody, somebody called didn't even know them and they were supposed to have a marriage and they were like, we got $150, will you come marry us? I, I don't do stuff that. But somebody's got to marry them. And I've, I've had, you know, I've taken criticism for some of the marriages I perform. I've taken criticism. But I said, somebody's got to marry them. I'd rather them allow me to marry them and I am praying over them that they beat every obstacle, then I'm going to the justice of the peace or going to some preacher that's just going to marry them and not pray. Every couple that I've married over, that I've married, I have prayed over, whether I've known them a little bit or a, a, a long time. And I believe in this. And this is why I'm, I may be being a little bit, you know, uh, careful the marriages that I do perform, because I believe this, if I marry you, I'm in a relationship with you. And I have a, um, the pandemic's just done so much, but I have a, there's a ministry of our church called I Still Do. And, uh, and I'm gonna put the couples on the Zoom call pretty soon. Once I marry you, I make myself accessible to you for the rest of your marriage, because I believe it's a relationship. Well, say that one more time. Say that again. I, once I perform the ceremony, I make myself accessible for the rest of your relationship because <laughs> I believe that um, that I take it serious to perform. If I'm the one who performed it, I believe now that I am under a spiritual duty to help you stay together. And 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 that's that I still do ministry. I try to reach out to every couple that I've ever performed a marriage to let them know they're part of this group called I Still Do. 
And because and that's why I don't take it lightly. You just shouldn't show up and marry. You are saying, my wife and I are saying we're part of this covenant relationship. And I take it serious. Hey, really quick, Alex, before um you you take over and do what you do. Hey, Pastor, if you can if you can tell us what was what was the craziest thing you've been a part of or seen at a wedding that you've had to marry? <laughs> oh my goodness. And oh. I know you got us. <laughs> oh. You know, I feel like that may be its own episode. <laughs> I remember yeah. in the in the summer we had a walk and you was telling me something that, and I can't remember what it was, but I remember we was laughing about it. Um, you may have to jog my memory. I've had so many um, situations. Um, I, I'm gonna start letting it. Uh, uh, yeah, anything. Uh, it don't matter. <laughs> you know, I, I I've had. Um, well, well, it, it, it sort of depends. When I am, when you say you want Anthony, I like that too, Parker, to perform the ceremony or the renewal, and I've had some touching ones. Uh, some, I, I, as a side note, one of one of the more touching ceremonies that I've done are, are when di divorced people remarry. And they come back to me. Those are beautiful stories. Um, but you know that um, this is a preacher who does not drink, um, who does not like the club atmosphere. So they'll do the ceremonies in a way um, so that I have I, I've done I've done ceremonies, and a certain time the married couple have come and excused me and my wife, and they said it's a good time for you to leave now, Reverend. Cause we about to get wild and they'll like, they'll have it. So they'll excuse me. Um, I've been, I've done some ceremonies where there was uh, this one particular one, there was alcohol involved and I don't know all the names for alcohol. So <laughs> I was doing a ceremony and before the ceremony, they were giving out um, some refreshments and I was in line and uh so they had to come and say, Reverend, you're in the wrong line. I didn't know. It looked it looked like fruit drinks. <laughs> Your line is but, up there. <laughs> I, was, I thought it was fruit punch. <laughs> and they had to say, Reverend, you're in the wrong line. Those are, you know, those are all um, funny to me. I, I've done weddings where everybody was drunk, um, you know, and just barely standing out. Um, Before the wedding? Uh-huh. During the wedding, like before the reception, it was drunk. Oh yes! Oh, oh my God! Everybody was tipsy. Um, uh, it's called the bachelor party, bro. <laughs> bachelor, bachelorette. You know. But they stood. They stood up long enough for 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 me to get. I've been in one wedding where, and then I'll let this the last one. I mean, where it was an outside wedding, and it went and stopped raining. And so um, they were inside, but I knew the bride wanted it to be an outside wedding. And so literally, I, I, I don't know. I am not one of those people who think I just got all this power with God. I would say this was like totally coincidental, but I went, went to the door and I said, God, give me, if you give me 20 minutes, I will get this girl married. Just please give me 20 minutes. Within 10 minutes, it stopped. I ran outside, they rushed the party through 
we did the wedding, and within 20 minutes, the rain started again. Wow. Totally, I say coincidental. Mm, wow. So we're we're almost out of time, but uh, and we're definitely going to do a part two because this is just too good. Part two, yes. I definitely want to talk about pastoring during the pandemic. That's that's something that I want to talk about. But we're all sports guys, and I feel like we should end on this note. And really, I want you to get in on this too. So I predicted Ohio State will beat Clemson, um, but man, COVID has not been kind to any of our teams Hold from on, the Browns. Oh, mm-hmm. one quick, my, my pastor, my, my, my resident pastor. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh. Vacation with the wife. She just gave me good news. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. That's going to be so, good on the record. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be great on the record. So, <laughs> I just want to know if one, how much have have you have you prayed? How much have you fasted uh, so that the Browns can win Sunday and the Buckeyes can win on Monday? And if you haven't, what is your prediction with everything that's been going on? Um, first of all, um, my dad loves sports. Uh, once again, why why I call him a moderate conservative because a lot of his upbringing of the people before him wouldn't have been into sports um but he let me know that it was um he let me know that it was pretty okay um to pray about sports so i have no problem praying about sports thank you thank you so much because i had no idea how that worked thank you i have no because the thing about it is it's just like i think of them what if they were members of my church I'm praying for their health and for them to do well. Now, my prayers get a little funny to my wife because I prayed the same prayer, the same prayer that I prayed when um, when when um, LeBron did the block. It was either right before the block or right after. I fell to my knees and I said, Lord, please, we never win anything. And my wife still laughs at me today because I had tears in my eyes as I fell to my knees saying, please, Lord. Mm-hmm. So, which, which, which I got to chime in because <laughs> you said your dad loves sports. That was on Father's Day. Yes, correct. We won that game on Father's, on Father's Day. Day. I'll never forget that. Father's Day. Um, so for the Brown Stiller game, I prayed that prayer, Father, seriously. We haven't been to the Super Bowl since, I mean, to the playoffs. Lord, help us get to the Super Bowl. Playoffs since 2002, I believe it is. Let us get there. Ohio State um, is a little different for me for the Browns. And that's why I've asked the Lord to increase my faith. I believe that they are a Big Ten powerhouse. But for so many years under, um, even with Trestle, uh, he won a championship, but before that, it was like we never could keep up with the SEC boys. We weren't that fast enough. That really bothered me. I mean, it messed me up. So I have always gone with the assumption of the fear that when we get to the big dance, we can't do it. You know, I have more faith now. Um, I think this Justin Fields guy um, is determined to win. Um 
But I got to be honest, if we don't take Alabama, I'll just be like, well, they're just, you know, as it's always been. But we beat Alabama two years ago, right? Yeah. We lost to Clemson. So I want us to win with the Cleveland Browns. You know, you don't have three of your coaches around, two, you know, two more players around. You got two other people drag racing. Um, I want Ohio State and the Browns to win. And yes, there's a little bit of doubt in me. I said it. You want to give your and take I'm praying first, about it. How about pray? Yes, I am praying and will pray on Sunday and we'll do like I did the Cavs. These are important games. So I will not, I did not watch the Cavs championship until the block. I kept it off. I hope and I pray and I checked the score because I don't want to provide any negative energy. Um, and so I, I'm just going to pray, check the score, and then tell me. There. Go ahead, Willie. <laughs> Go ahead. So my quick analysis for this Browns game. Listen, one thing, for some reason, through all of this, I feel like they're going to win. Because one thing I've learned about this team is when you, when you praise them, they lose. But when you count them out, they go win. Nobody, I didn't, nobody thought they was going to beat Tennessee, definitely the way they did. Nobody thought they was going to beat Baltimore. Now they did lose to Baltimore, but the way they played was like, okay. So even if they do lose, I don't think it's going to be the way people think. I think people think we're just going to go out there and get rolled on. I don't think so. I, I, I honestly believe it's going to be a close loss or we're going to win the game. And as far as Ohio State, Devontae Smith, that's all I got to say. They have them, we don't. But we, they do. They do have Devontae Smith. I think he's got a good game, but Mr. O and Mr. Wilson are going to have big games. They don't have Justin Wilson. Ohio State will beat Alabama. That's what I like to hear. And Thank the Browns you. will beat the Steelers, despite my 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 doubts. Um, and I'm going to I'll end it with this because I, I definitely want to hear what Alex has to say um, it goes to the fact that we have a real coach and, and there's one I don't remember who it was and they're like guys first of all we they, they said two things Baker helped get the Browns to where they are um, and he's growing he's, he's not a Hall of Famer or anything like that you know it's like if you say anything good about him People want to point out his flaws. Okay, but he has played well enough. If he had, if he had not played as well as he did, they are not going to the playoffs no. because a Super Bowl, a bad quarterback can derail everything. Um, Chubb is a huge reason. So you got Baker and Chubb well, but this one analyst said this: Stefanski is uh, one of the few coaches who seems to master well coaching and calling plays. And he's very calm. He has a calm demeanor and he has a feel. Has he made every perfect call play? No, even he's admitted. So you obvious times when we're like, why did you make that call? But they're like with the Steelers. And, and this is the thing you have to look at. The Steelers need to win this because they're coming to the end of the road. It's house money for us. We are on the upcline. They're on the decline. No matter what obstacles, matter of fact, and some people said, well, you barely beat their section. No, no. 
who we played last week are proven veterans. Um, they should have beat us. If you're trying to win a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl team's first and second streamers win games, okay? We are at a point where we're trying, they've never been in the playoff atmosphere. So then the coach, it's chess. The Steelers are going to be trying to change in-game planning and decisions. You need your coach there to say, okay, we're going to do this, do this. And all of that now is on who? Um, Pfeiffer, right? Mm -hmm. So the question is, you know, can he do what Stefanski would do? I don't know. But I'm calling them to win because I'm not sold on Pittsburgh as a championship caliber team. That second string should have beat the Browns. Hmm. Well, I'll just say this, and I'll keep mine short. Nobody even expected us to go to the playoffs this season. So for me, that's a W right there. Number two, if we win or if we don't win, and I think we will win, um, it would have, it would represent a hurdle that the Browns are a serious contender. Mm-hmm. As far as the Buckeyes go, we had two W's last week with the Browns and the Buckeyes, and I don't see a reason why we can't have a repeat. So that's that's all I got to say. <laughs> the thing about you got Sermon, who's ready. Justin Fields, who's ready? Um, I see. I see us having a great Sunday and Monday. Well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the first episode of our second season of the Black Culture Podcast. Uh, if you haven't already, go ahead, smash that like button. Leave a comment below and subscribe to our channel. Follow us on all social channels at the blackculturepodcast.com. Anthony T. Parker, thank you so much for being here. Willie, let's toast it up. Oh, man, I drank my water, but I got my cup. Yes, sir. I got mine. Yes, sir. Patson got his cup. What kind of cup yo, I got? Wait, wait. What, what cup? What this cup? was, I forgot my cup. This is my wife's work cup with pins and our family picture on it. Where, where's you on's um, podcast cup? On the way. It's a, yes. On the way. You will on and you way. will receive one. Yeah, huh? you'll receive you you you'll receive a cup, a shirt, probably a hat. Yeah, you'll you'll be receiving and we're gonna and we're gonna be having you back on again. This, well, this, I, this was excellent. I would I would like to um I would like for uh the church, uh, Raymond Fellowship Church, to uh make some type of investment in this podcast and, and become wow. some type of a sponsor. Wow. Wow. That's what so I would much. like to see. I, I see this as an extension. This is the ministry God has birthed through you all. Um, but I'm I'm a businessman. This is good stuff. You know, I'm a businessman. The church got to tag along some way, somehow, <laughs> only because you guys um I love your life. I love your life. And I would like for the, the church, and you all are the men of the church, I would like for us to help sponsor something. So let's talk about that. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much, Pastor. Love you. Love and, you too. And thank your wife for us for allowing you to be on tonight. I definitely will. <laughs> and see you Sunday. 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 
All well, right, well, well, you have a fantastic evening. Okay.